Poso maoni work, wai wanen kitanen ni mo e yoski pietaya posnotaman e yum MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya posnapi notaman and he sikimaka e yoso matnamene hokihi. Welcome to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Wapus. On this episode, I am joined by Von Bulls, Public Information Officer for the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. Welcome, Von. Thanks for having me back. I would like to remind everyone, we request you send in your COVID-19 related questions to us at podcast at MITW.org. So uh, this week we had uh, a PSA from Dr. Slagle that went over a couple of things, one of them being the Delta variant, which we've covered quite a bit. Um, can you just kind of go over some of the things that she mentioned in that? Yeah. So for those that you know may have missed an episode or two, the Delta variant is the variant that's uh, come out of India. The World Health Organization is just assigning Greek letters of the alphabet to the new variant strains to avoid any sort of stigmatization against countries and people and and you know groups. Um, so instead of calling it the India variant or the UK variant, they're calling it the Delta variant. Um, just a heads up, the former UK variant is now known as the Alpha variant. So right now that's the most popular, shouldn't say most popular, most prevalent variant here in the US. Um, but they're worried about the Delta variant becoming uh, more prevalent because what they've found is it's more contagious than the previous wild strains of COVID and it's more contagious than the uh, alpha strain of COVID. They think it may be about 60% more contagious, so uh, less exposure time is needed to become infected. Um, they're not totally sure if it's more lethal, uh, but if there's a higher rate of infection, um, there's usually a higher death rate associated with the the uh, virus, but we'll see. Stay tuned on that. They're still running tests on that. Um, what they do know is that the the vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, all pretty effective against um, severe cases of it, um, and they're still pretty good um, at keeping people from getting infected. And when I say pretty good, about 75 to about 92 to 3% effective at preventing infection of the Delta variant. So it's a good protection. Um, and if you haven't been fully vaccinated, we'd encourage you at this time and stuff just to make sure you don't pick this up. So is that more of a, <clears throat> would that be more of a concern for us when we have less people vaccinated in the community? You can have more of a chance of vaccinated people having breakthrough infections with that yeah, then? Yeah, that's exactly why it would be a problem is if those mm -hmm. who aren't vaccinated get it. Um, it puts those who are vaccinated at risk. Vaccination is great. It's not bulletproof. Um, it's right. not a 100% thing, but it does help. Okay. Um, so I read that the Delta variant has can kind of have some different symptoms than the wild strain of COVID that we've been, you know, used to the last year or so. So is there any truth to that? So the epidemiologists out of the King College in London, um, they've been studying this quite a bit, and they're kind of saying rather than the flu-like symptoms we've been seeing mm -hmm. with wild strain of COVID, um, the Delta strain has more symptoms associated w with what we'd consider like a common cold. So with the, the Delta version, they're seeing symptoms like headache, sore throat, runny nose, and fever. 
Um, with regular COVID or wild type, you'll see sneezing and coughing, um, fatigue, muscle aches, headaches, um, congestion, nausea and vomiting, possible diarrhea. So there are some factors, um, less flu-like, more cold-like with the Delta strain. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I saw, I think it was on the uh, Department of Health Twitter or something. They said that it was classified as a variant of concern in Wisconsin. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, the CDC classified the Delta strain as a variant of concern. Um, once again, in previous episodes we covered, CDC has essentially three levels of severity when they're investigating some sort of pathogen, um, mm -hmm. whether it's viral, bacterial, prion, whatever. So they have variants of interest, variants of concern, and then variants of high consequence. Um, with a variant of concern, it just means that the Delta strain um, has increased transmissibility, so we can pass mm -hmm. it easier. Um, it may have a more severe disease. They haven't seen this with Delta, but that would be one thing that brings in that classification. Um, mm -hmm. They could also see a significant reduction in neutralization of the uh, pathogen by either your antibodies or by vaccine. Um, there could be reduced uh, effectiveness for treatments, um, or it could go uh, undetected by diagnostic uh, means. Right now, um, Delta got the got classified as a variant of concern because it has the increased transmissibility and the vaccine effectiveness is slightly decreased. Not a lot, mm -hmm. but just a little bit, but that's enough mm -hmm. to put it in that classification. Um, Good news is right now there aren't any variants of high concern in the U.S. We haven't seen mm -hmm. anything like that, which is great. Um, and some news outlets have been saying um, that the prevalence of Delta is as high as 10%, but currently the CDC has the Delta variant um, marked at approximately 2 to 4% of all variants across the country, depending on where mm -hmm. you are geographically. Um, okay. And to date, uh, you know, like we said, there aren't any high consequence variants in the U.S., which is great. And we can, you know, post the <clears throat> the links to the CDC um, uh, tracking pages and stuff in the show notes. I'd actually recommend that everyone go and take a look at this page just very briefly. Um, it's mm -hmm. very informative, and uh, it, it's fairly easy to digest the information. It's presented well, I think. Cool. So we'll post that in our uh, show notes. Yeah. Um, and everybody can go check that out. Um, <clears throat> so yesterday, uh, Biden announced this antiviral program for pandemics. What is that? What are they trying to work on? So I must have missed the initial announcement, but I was, it was glad that it got brought up um, because uh, apparently the federal government is allocating about $3.2 billion to the NIH um, to start kind of a new branch or internal campaign um, for new antivirals to prevent pandemics. Um, so specifically right now, they're going to focus on providing safe and effective treatments for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, what we're dealing with what, right now. Um, the goal is to build sustainable platforms for targeted drugs, targeted drug discovery and development of antivirals against viruses with pandemic potential. So basically, they just want to create an incubator for drug development. Um, mm -hmm. They want to focus on highly effective oral antivirals that can be taken at home. Um, which some of the drugs for COVID are right now. There aren't a lot of them, but they do have mm -hmm. effective um, antivirals that you can take at home. Um, part of the reason for that is if it's an oral medication versus a vaccine, um, they can be shipped all over the world with less concern of um, medication breaking down. It can get to a lot of the developing nations a lot easier. Mm 
Um, mm-hmm. The NIH is going to partner with you know various drug and biomedical companies and stuff to create novel platforms for research, um, and they're going to try to make sure that pandemics are are slowed or stopped uh, before they become you know well a pandemic is global before they become <laughs> before they can become really uh, troubling and and potentially dangerous events. Um, okay, so we I saw a news article about the Novavax vaccine um that is not approved yet but being developed right so how is that any different from the vaccines that we currently have so novavax it's it's a new company well it's not a new company it's a different company than the mm-hmm. ones we've seen they're working on their phase three trials right now so mm-hmm. um, it's the last phase they need before they can receive um, the emergency authorization used from the sure. fda um, they're doing a two-shot formula for a vaccine um, the difference is that rather than having to freeze the vaccine either at um, ultra-cold temperatures or cold temperatures, their vaccine is refrigerator-stable, um, which is huge when you're transporting it to various uh, locations in the world. Um, they're seeking you know, the emergency authorization use from the FDA right now. Um, rather than using mRNA like uh, Pfizer and Moderna have, um, mm-hmm. they're using essentially a fragment of protein uh, from of the spike protein um, to mm-hmm. trigger an immune response. So it's more like some of the traditional vaccines that we've seen. Um, they've had some great effectiveness with it though. Their initial studies say that it's about 90 to, uh, 90.4% effective um, to 100% effective against uh, you know severe cases of COVID depending on the age of the, the individual taking it. Um, so its efficacy puts it right on par with the Pfizer and Moderna. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit more effective than the Johnson and Johnson one. Um, and they've found that as far as the variants, it's about 93% effective at preventing infection from the variants. So it's really good about that. Um, right now, uh, they understand, uh, Novavax understands that, you know, Pfizer and Moderna are all over the country. We have you know, the shots are widely available wherever you need them. And so they're actually going to focus on distributing to low and middle income countries, um, you know, Central America, Africa, um, parts of Asia and stuff like that, rather than widespread distribution here in the U.S. But they're they're set to produce about 1.1 billion doses uh, that they're going to send out. So they'll, they'll really help a lot of countries that that haven't been able to roll out as robust vaccination programs as we have here in the U.S. So, Vaughn, you also mentioned um, that the CDC had some updates to their travel guidelines. Can you go over those? Yeah, so it's summer, obviously. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A lot of us want to get out, want to travel. Um, CDC's put out some travel recommendations for those that are fully vaccinated versus those that aren't. Um, even if you're fully vaccinated, they still recommend that you wear a mask over your mouth and nose um, because it's required on public transportation like buses, trains, uh, and planes, and also in transport hubs. Um, they also recommend that if you're traveling to a different state or a new location, um, find out what the mask regulations and COVID regulations are for wherever you're traveling, um, uh, particularly if you know there are states that have um, they've stopped doing a lot of their COVID protocols. If that freaks you out, you want to know that beforehand. Um, and if you're, uh, when you're coming back, if you're fully vaccinated, you uh, don't need to take a period of time to isolate, which is great. Um, 
after travel, if you haven't vaccinated, they usually do require um, you know a three to five day um, isolation period where you can get tested. Um, if you haven't been vaccinated, uh, particularly if you're traveling internationally, you are required to get a COVID test between one and three days prior to you know leaving the U.S. Um, so those are just a couple things to keep in mind if you are going on vacation. Um, if you'd like, we can put links in the show notes. There's a nice little graphic that shows you what you need to do as far as you know international travel or you know domestic travel and stuff. So that's a great little visual that can give you a direction for that. Locally, um, in the community, there's a lot of questions about the COVID funding that the tribe either has received or is set to receive. And I know we've talked about that a couple of times, and I know you didn't really have any updates, but um, is there any more information that you can share about it? Because um, people are making a lot of assumptions about, you know, the tribe spent it all already, or we don't know what they spent it on, things right, like that. Right. So, So from what I understand, there is a lot of public funding out there. Um, for tribes, specifically mm -hmm. there for improvement to public health and environmental health situations. So the funding that's available now um, can improve things like housing um, and living situations and the tribes looking into, I believe doing, um, it was like trailer repair or mobile home repair. Um, mm -hmm. It can also go to vaccine distribution, um, public education, improvement of healthcare facilities like for vaccine storage, um, it'll buy you mm -hmm. equipment, lab equipment um, for testing as well. Um, and it also can improve um, broadband and wireless and communication capabilities. My understanding at this point is there won't be any more relief checks to specific individuals, um, but that could change with you know federal legislation. Um, we'll just have to see how it goes at this point. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so this is, we're talking about funding that's not the CARES funding, right? That's kind of done with at this point, From correct? what I understand, a lot of the CARES funding has been allocated out, yeah. Mm-hmm, okay. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add for people for the weekend? Be safe, have a great time outdoors, and uh, get vaccinated if you haven't. Okay, thank you, Vaughn. Thank you. Waiwanan for listening to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to podcasts on menominee-nsn.gov under the community tab and keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcast. Again, we do weekly updates with Vaughn. Welcome any community questions you have regarding COVID-19, so please send those to us via email at podcast at mitw.org.